Welcome to Leadership Secrets, where we explore the key elements of leadership, communication, and teamwork. I'm Barry Moline, and I believe everyone can lead from anywhere in an organization, no matter what their job title may be. Let's learn some leadership secrets together. Today, my guest is Jocelyn Moray Nurse, who is the CEO of two organizations. She's the CEO of Corgi Bytes, a software development company focusing on legacy code. And she's also the CEO of Luxentis, which is a leadership training organization. Welcome, Jocelyn. Thank you so much, Barry. I am super excited to be here and be talking leadership with you. Well, I'm looking forward to the conversation too. So as we begin, let's talk about your journey to become a CEO, a leader, and along the way, Highlight a few of the big lessons you've learned. What I think is maybe a little bit interesting is I never actually pursued becoming an executive. Some people know exactly what they're going to do with their own lives, and I did not. I just kind of ended up here. And it's really my hard work and my skills and my deep, deep desire to lead and help other people that pulled me into that position. And in an interesting way, my path actually started when I left my stable, well-paying public service position and uh, we sold our home and we went sailing on a sailboat for a year. So we spent a year sailing on a sailboat and that led us to uh, living on a motorhome full-time. And so it's really during that five-year nomadic adventure that uh, I just took a bunch of positions of convenience. Now, before, I had experience as a leader, as a supervisor, as a team leader, as a manager. And so during those five years, I was just a freelance writer. And when we got back to fixed address living, I was like, okay, I'm going to grow my writing business. And because I wanted a little bit of stable income, I became an executive assistant at the software company. But uh, me being me, I was always butting in with my advice. So they needed help with this and that and the other things. Oh, well, I have experience in that. Let me tell you about this. Oh, well, you know, you really should look into that other thing because that that's going to help you. And so because of that, I very quickly became the director of accounts and content. And then shortly after, they were facing some challenges that I felt I could help with. And I became their COO. And it was the COO actually is kind of like um, COO, but also CFO-like responsibilities because it's a smaller organization. And uh, then eventually they asked me to become their CEO. And uh, again, it was just because I kept butting in with my advice. I just wanted to help the organization. I wanted to help it grow. I wanted to help make it profitable. And so that's how I became CEO. And I'd say some of the biggest lessons that I have learned, I think one of the biggest one is leaning into healthy conflict. And leaning into healthy conflict sometimes means being extremely uncomfortable And sometimes it means just being open and vulnerable, but sometimes it also means holding some uh, firm boundaries. Conflict can be very scary, but if you lean into it, into that healthy conflict, you just grow exponentially and you uncover some really, really interesting information. And so that's one of the, the biggest lessons I think that I've learned. Wow, that's fascinating. It's, uh, you know, this sort of 
I don't want to say rags to riches, but when somebody starts out at the bottom and then rises to be the CEO, that's such a fascinating arc. In the process of of doing that, you know, you talked about butting in, providing ideas and so on. And sometimes those ideas can be seen as, you know, like, what's Jocelyn saying again? We don't really need her to be offering advice over here, over there. But it sounds like you you were aware of that and you were sensitive to the advice that you were offering. And then it was good enough advice to be constantly recognized and you were given more and more responsibility. So was that a balance that you had to achieve? Absolutely. Uh, I am very aware that some people may feel a little bit awkward, I'm going to say, if let's say an executive assistant says, hey, by the way, have you thought about this thing? And so I'm very, very careful and diplomatic in the way I present my information. I don't come out and say, you should be doing this. Have you thought about that? I cushion my language. I make sure that my language is very caring, empathetic. And um, I do a lot of I statements. So maybe I'm going to say, I was wondering about or... Um, I was thinking, is it possible that maybe, you know, I, I'm very, very cautious that way. And I think that because I presented that way, it's more welcomed as opposed to if I came in, you know, quasi dictating, you should be doing this, that wouldn't be welcomed. But then after also it builds a lot of trust in implementing the ideas and seeing them be successful. Because then after that, it's like, oh, well, you know what? She had a really good idea this time and it worked out. So maybe we should try it again. Yeah, that's fascinating. That simple linguistic approach from I statements, from my perspective, you know, it looks to me like, and, and so on. It's just little old me making this observation versus what a lot of folks do and they don't even realize they're doing it is, you know, saying you should do this or or this is wrong, look what you're doing here. And it puts people on the defensive. So just that one little switch has a huge impact in how people accept your ideas. Absolutely. It's approaching it, I would say, from a place of humility as opposed to a place of arrogance. And I think that makes all the difference. It sounds like your first big step was in the customer care area. Uh, I've, I've, known you for a little while. I know that you're a great people person. Oh, so thank you. <laughs> it's, it's obvious to me why that was an avenue that you, you started to move up in the organization and then obviously became CEO. So being a CEO means that you're responsible for a lot of things. That includes your, your product, your service, your customers, your staff. I call it the leader's awesome responsibility. So how would you describe your awesome responsibility? Yeah, absolutely. It really is an awesome responsibility, both in terms of scope and potential impact. Um, because I, I choose to show up as a leader who wants to impact the team, who wants to impact the organization and the clients in a positive way. And so part of that awesome responsibility is understanding the trust that these people place in you. And it means that you have to honor that by making decisions that you believe will protect them and that will ensure that they can make life plans. Because when you stop to think about it, the team is expecting, well, I'm not going to say, okay, expecting, but is, is hoping <laughs> that I will make decisions that will allow them to know that 
you know what, next month they can pay their mortgage. They, they don't have to worry that I'm going to make decisions that the, the, that are going to collapse the organization and then that they will have to scramble and have to go find another job or something like that. And that is a lot of pressure when you stop to think about it. But it means keeping an eye on strategies for longevity while addressing immediate issues. And, and although it is pretty daunting, at the same time, it is pretty awesome to be in a position to have that kind of impact. You mentioned that when you were a child, you weren't thinking about becoming a CEO, and then you had this uh, incredible, did you say five years experience of sailing? And Yep, we spent a year on the sailboat and four years on the motorhome. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, it's kind of interesting because as a child child, uh, I lived in co-op housing. So thoughts of what I wanted wasn't really in my mind. It was more about what I needed to do to ensure that I'd be okay later on in life. But when I was a little bit older, I did become interested in the stock market and business, which is kind of a little bit of an odd thing. So I was this kid who used to watch the nightly business report. And I believe at the time it was on PBS, but I just became fascinated by it. And um, so I thought maybe I'd become a corporate lawyer or something like that. And then I went to an actual hearing and I was terribly bored. (laughs) So I was like, okay, that's not for me. Um, And like I was saying earlier, I I wasn't one of those people who really knew what she wanted in life. And so then I kind of explored theater and then I explored screenwriting. Um, But what I understood in time is that through all of my activities, I've always just wanted to have impact. When I did theater, I wanted to portray someone that people would feel that they can relate to. In my screenwriting, I wrote stories because I was trying to pass along lessons learned in my life so that they may feel, oh, okay, maybe that's how I'm going to deal with this. And so for me to now become a leader in this in this way feels almost like a natural progression, even though it kind of doesn't look that way. So, okay, so you, you started as the executive assistant and ended up as the CEO. You know, a lot of folks deal with imposter syndrome as they rise through an organization and then there they are as a CEO. I'm not saying that that's something that you've experienced, but when did you feel like you became a leader? Was it when you became the CEO or was it some other time? Was there a moment? Was there an experience you had? I would say that I became a leader in personality first. And as I mentioned earlier, um, like I grew up in co-op housing as a young child. And I think that circumstances made it that I understood really young that if I wanted anything in life, I had to figure it out. And that is actually a very good trait for a leader. That idea that, yeah, we'll figure it out. You're on the fly. You're the CEO. It's like, all right, got this challenge. No problem. I'm going to figure it out. So I think that kind of started that way. But I would say that uh, it was maybe a little bit later when I was about 11, we moved and there was a new school. And at this new school, the boys played on one side of the yard and the girls played on the other side of the yard. And I felt that the boys had the nicer play area. And I was like, I don't like that. So I I just kind of asked around and see, am I the only one feeling this way? And so I asked around and other people of my my age were feeling the same way. I'm like, 
Okay. So it wasn't like this big moment of we're going to go and protest. Like it wasn't like that at all. It was just more like, hmm, I feel this way. How do you feel? And since they agreed with me, I grabbed this little group of girls and we went to see the principal and she agreed to see us. And so as a group, we just presented our arguments, how we felt, you know, that yes, even though we're girls, that we should be allowed to play in the heels on the, the grass over there because we want to be able to do this and that, that other thing. And uh, she agreed. And so uh, she changed the way she did it. And then it became uh, grade-based as opposed to gender-based. And I thought that was pretty awesome because then as you grow through the school, then you'd get to play through the different areas of the playground. So I, I think that's kind of the early example of how the mentality started there. And then I just kind of naturally grew into that. When you actually first became the CEO of Corgi Bites, how was that transition? You know, was it smooth? Was it bumpy? How long did it take to figure things out to get comfortable? Well, like I mentioned earlier, I was lucky in the sense that first it's a small organization, but also because I grew into the organization, right? I spent many years there and I also spent uh, four years as their COO before become CEO. And as I mentioned, that responsibility included CFO-like responsibility. So I was already doing the budget and that kind of thing and worked very, very closely with the accounting team to learn. And so when I made that transition to CEO, it was actually easier than if I, let's say, had come from the outside or something. Um, but one of the things that was particularly challenging is that the organization was growing and there were a lot of shifts needed and so I had to do a lot of strategic work and implementation of that strategy. And that also required a lot of energy. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't say so much that it was bumpy, um, but that there were a lot of challenges. Like even the owners themselves, they needed to figure some stuff out on their own. And so I had to plan and implement strategy that would cover many potential scenarios. So that was a little bit more challenging. So I'd say like in terms of figuring things out, since I had so much insight to start with, it didn't take that long at all, but it did require a lot of juggling. And uh, I'd say I'm, I'm quite comfortable in the role. And I think, again, that's partly because maybe the team has been working with me for so long and they also know me and they've seen that in changing a few letters after my name didn't change who I was. And so I think that that respect kind of followed me. Earned respect. <laughs> so how would you describe your leadership philosophy? Definitely people-centric. Long before I was introduced to Robert Greenleaf's work on servant leadership, I believed that leadership was about role modeling and that being a leader is someone who is strong, but also benevolent. So I, um, I've always believed, like I said before, I even had a term for it, that the leader is there to guide the team, but also to support the team members in their own journey, whether it be uh, their careers or support them as people, as individuals, so that they can show up and be their authentic selves. It's about creating an environment where individuals can really show up where they feel safe. So for me, that's really, really important. It's about treating people with respect. It's about treating them with kindness. And that being said, I want to make sure that there is also that 
employee-employer contract in the sense that I'm going to provide you with opportunities, fair wages, a safe work environment, and you're going to be providing outstanding services or contributing to make a, a superior product. So it's kind of that that relationship. And the leader is there to facilitate that relationship, to help team members in those endeavors by making strategic decisions that ensure that the organization remains profitable, for instance, like I was talking about earlier, to make them feel safe. So and make those decisions, ensure there's longevity, ensure that the clients are happy and providing team members the proper tools so that they can do their jobs effectively as well. So the idea that the leader brings positive energy that then has a ripple effect. And I'm a big believer in in that ripple effect where if you create a good environment, then the team members are going to be happier. Then maybe they go home and maybe they're a little bit more patient with their partner, their spouse, their children. And then they in turn go to their friend's home or the, the grocery store and they're a little bit nicer to the cashier who's having a rough day. Or maybe their friend goes to another friend's home and they're a little bit nicer to their friends. And so that leader... It starts with the leader creating a positive work environment and creating that positive energy ripple effect. Yeah, that is truly people-centric. So uh, when you think about your people or just employees in general in the, uh, you know, in the world of work, what do you think are some of the key skills that they need to be successful? There are a number of skills, I think, that are essential. I think that... Um, Developing patience <laughs> is definitely <laughs> essential. Uh, the ability for introspection is very important. Self-regulation is essential. Uh, developing accountability for ourselves is essential. Um, but I think the one that I would say maybe rises a little bit more above the others is uh, building self-confidence and building self-confidence that comes from doing. And the reason I say that is that when a leader or team member is confident in their own abilities, then they're less likely to be threatened by someone else being awesome. So if um, you have a leader who lacks that self-confidence that comes from doing, they may tend to feel more threatened. Let's say if somebody has a better idea than they do. No? And so that type of leader may push people down as opposed to let them shine. I'm totally okay with getting something wrong. I'm totally okay with a team member being awesome and having a better idea than me. In fact, I love it when they have better ideas than me because then it just means it fulfills that promise of a team where everybody contributes and we get the best of everyone. And maybe they even surface ideas I hadn't thought of. Uh, maybe they're shedding light on blind spots that I have. So that comes from me creating an environment where people feel safe to present their ideas because I am welcoming of their ideas. And at the most basic, it comes from that self-confidence that I have. And it, it, it comes from doing. It's not like, I'm so great. It's not, it's not, there's a difference between like arrogance or delusion uh, of thinking like, I'm so amazing, but I've actually done things. And yes, I've been successful. Therefore, yes, I've shown that I can do this and it, it built my self-confidence. And so now when team members uh, come with ideas, 
I'm like, hey, bring it. I am super happy. Let's do it because it makes everything better. That's a great way to put it. I have a, a follow-up on that. I, as we talk about employees and developing their self-confidence, how do you think individuals feel when they don't necessarily have the best idea? Maybe their colleagues in the room have better ideas. Going back to that self-confidence issue, you want to make sure that people know there's no I in team and it's wherever the best ideas come from. Is that something that you've had to deal with? Yes, absolutely. And my approach to that is digging to find what it is because everybody's amazing at something and it's helping guide them to find what it is that they're really awesome at and then allowing them to shine doing that. So then it builds their self-confidence as well, because then they discover, okay, maybe I'm not the person in the room who has the 20,000 ideas like the other people. I'm more of a thinker. I'm someone who needs to take the information, go back to my desk or virtual desk or wherever and consider elements. And then I'll come back and I'll have something. So it's, it's, knowing how the different personalities work to accommodate them so that everybody has a chance to shine in their own form. And so maybe it's going to be like, just to continue that example I just gave. So maybe it's going to be, okay, great. So I took all these ideas. Now, for uh, those of you who uh, need a little bit more time to think, uh, you do that. And I will uh, wait, let's say till tomorrow and share those ideas with me. And then I'll consider all the ideas together and we'll share the extra ideas or we'll have a second step or whatever. But it's finding what it is that the people are awesome at and ensuring they do more of it so that they can build their confidence as well. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I think that a lot of people feel pressure in the moment. Some are good in meetings and on their feet and brainstorming and others just need a little bit of time and you know they need to connect the dots they need to consider a variety of elements of a problem before blurting out solutions so having that recognition of how people process and then come forward with ideas is really valuable for for a leader to be sensitive to their team so i i'm really glad you described that that's that's really important you're a woman and and a leader. And I'm wondering, in your ascension to becoming a leader as a CEO right now, have you faced any particular challenges related to gender? You know, I'm curious if you have had any experiences like that, what they've been, how you've responded to them, and maybe what advice you'd give to other female leaders uh, or, or other women who aspire to lead. Yeah. Um, I do think that I have faced challenges related to my gender, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but I also think that they're very similar to my experience as a woman in general. So some of the negatives that I've experienced as a leader, I've also experienced as an employee or in the community in general. Uh, and an example I'll give um, is I'm a strong leader, but I'm also a benevolent leader. And that kindness has at times been perceived as a weakness. Uh, I've had some clients, I've had some team members have the impression that they can just walk all over me because of that, because I don't have that bossy demeanor, uh, I'm, that they think that I'm soft because of it. Like, I like to laugh. The, how I am now, this is how I show up as a leader. I like to laugh. I, le I bring a lot of joy to the work environment because I believe that it's that's important. But when it's time to be serious, when it's time to perform, I'm all over that. 
And I think that sometimes that feminine energy has been perceived as a weakness. And unfortunately, um, it seems it's always men. I, I have yet to see a, another woman who feels like my feminine energy is a weakness. And uh, unfortunately, <laughs> for some reason, it also uh, translates into them thinking that I can't possibly be smart. And so I've been on the receiving end of endless, simplified, overly simplified explanations where I actually have to stop them and say, okay, it's not that I don't understand. It's that I don't agree. And here's why. Like I've actually had to do that. And uh, I, I want to be fair though, because I've, I've been on a little bit about this. I want to be super fair that thankfully it is a minority of men. It's truly a minority. In my experience, most men have been highly supportive. They speak to me as they would appear and, you know, I, I would also want to add that in my experience, it is not, pers um, it is personality based. It is not age based because there, there might be this tendency, oh, okay, well, it's the older generations and the newer generations so much more woke. Um, no, not necessarily because, uh, I've had some older generations, uh, be super supportive of me and be like, no, you're awesome. And your understanding of business is impressive. And I've had some newer generation men speak to me in that manner and think that, oh, well, you can't possibly be smart. So I really want to dismiss that idea that is generational. And, um, and again, that it's, it's not a majority. It truly is a minority, thankfully. Uh, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, and, and at the end of the day, like my perspective on that is if somebody wants to underestimate, under, underestimate me, that's fine. They, they can just go right ahead. I'm going to be over here crushing it and being awesome. And, you know, I don't, I don't feel the need for everyone to give me their stamp of approval. I don't, uh, feel the need for someone to invite me to the table. I, uh, don't want, uh, I don't wait for someone to give me permission to be an effective leader. I don't do it aggressively, very much like this, like right now, very, very much who I am. I don't do it aggressively, uh, but I don't wait for any, anybody to give me that uh, permission. And if I were to give any advice to younger women, uh, I would say just uh, pick your leadership style and be authentic, like bring your best self to that approach. Because if you have a lack of authenticity, let's say you think, okay, well, a real leader has to be more tough. Well, people are going to pick up on you not being authentic. They may not be able to pinpoint what it is exactly. Like they may not be able to say, oh, you're pretending to be tougher than you are, but they will pick up on something being inauthentic and then they won't be able to trust you as a leader. And so just bring your best self, pick your leadership style, and just, you know, don't worry about getting that stamp of approval. Just be undeniably awesome. That is great advice. And of course, early you, you talked about being self-confident, and it sounds like that is an important element of, of what you're talking about and being authentic. Yeah, absolutely. That absolutely because if you don't have that self-confidence, then you will be afraid of showing up as your authentic self. Let's talk about direction and strategy. Uh, tell me about your thoughts on establishing a strategic direction for an organization and, and how that impacts employees on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Yeah, uh, establishing strategic direction is essential because we need to know in which direction we're all going to be rowing. <laughs> so it's important to share that with the team. And, you know, it doesn't mean that strategic direction won't change based on circumstances. Although, uh, I don't recommend the shiny object syndrome. You know, if you're establishing a strategy and go, Ooh, let's go this way, let's go this way. Like, no. But if there's a legitimate re reason why we would want to change the strategy, then sure, don't be afraid to do it. Um, but we want to have that strategy to keep us on track or at least close to being on track. And I would say that there's still room for exploration while we aim to meet that bigger goal, that strategic goal. Uh, I think it's also very uh, important to share that with a team because it's a motivator. Like people like to know why they're doing what they're doing and how it impacts the future. And so by providing that strategy and sharing that with them, it also helps them helps them feel more included and helps them feel like what they're doing means something and that they're contributing to something that's greater than themselves. And so when that team member sees how the day-to-day -day affects the bigger picture or contributes to helping solve a client pain point, then again, it's, that's such a great feeling. So uh, as you've uh, developed into a, a great leader, have you ever had what you would consider to be a rookie moment, you know, some big lesson you learned from a mistake? Yeah, I've had many rookie moments, but uh, if I were to pick one, I'll, I'll, I'll dig way, way back for this one. I'll say one of my earliest, earliest um, mistakes was uh, I had uh, an employee that was back when, so I was an, er, a fairly new leader and uh, I was still back then trying to be that leader who is friends with everyone, that I wanted to be that leader that everybody can confide in, everybody can tell me anything because I'm going to be there for them. And so there was an issue and I confronted the employee and they lied to me. And I was crushed because back then I felt like it was a reflection on me. I felt like, oh no, I didn't do my job properly. Why are they lying to me? And uh, it took me some time to really understand that, no, it, it's not about me. It's about them. It's about them not wanting to take accountability for what happen. It's for them not wanting to deal with the consequences of their actions. So in time, of course, I've learned to detach the, the way someone responds to me. But early, early on, uh, they were they were intertwined for me, how somebody reacted to me. And for the fact that they lied to me, that, that was devastating. Yeah. And for a trusting person, it's hard to separate you, you have to constantly evaluate that. I think that you do. It's, it's not a matter of not trusting. It's a matter of trusting to the greatest extent possible. But somewhere, having had that experience in the back of your mind, it's like, okay, let me trust but verify. <laughs> exactly. And it's also recognizing, even though I'm not someone who leads by position, you know, that positional power idea, it's still a reality. And reality is, even though I try to be the best leader, the most empathetic leader, the most caring leader, I still have that power to fire people. And I don't, like, I'm not walking around with, ooh, I have the power to fire you. Not at all. Like, this is so not me. 
but it's a reality. And so when people come to me and they, they want to talk to me about something and like in that instance, the, they're afraid of that potential consequence. And it, it's just, it's a, it's a reality that we have to understand as leaders that even though we try to be the kindness, most open, most trustworthy leaders, we have to recognize that there is still that position factor. Yeah. So you're describing a, a few different challenges. Um, when you are faced with challenges or tough decisions, is there a process that you used for figuring things out and then trying to come to a conclusion? So for me, uh, there, there's always the strategic direction, right? So that's that's where I'm going to go first. Where are we going? Um, if it's you know making a difficult financial decision or making a different people related decision. I am always going to lean into honest conversations. I was talking about the healthy conflict earlier on. I'm always going to lean into honest conversation and the core values. So what are those core values? And I found that leaning heavily into the core values usually guides the decision. And obviously something that I do is I try to obtain as many perspectives as I can to ensure that I am making that informed decision. Like I was talking earlier about being confident and ensuring that I create that space so that team members can provide input. So I try to get as many perspectives as I can to make that the best decision that I can. And just to clarify, I don't lead by committee. It doesn't mean I lead by committee. I don't do that. I make the ultimate decision, but I want to make sure that I have as many perspectives as possible in case I do have blind spots or in case I am leaning into, you know, confirmation bias. Like, oh, maybe I have this opinion and I went and did research and look at that. Everything I'm finding proves that I'm right. Well, I want to con- make sure that I'm not going down that path. Like, doesn't mean I'll assume that I'm wrong, but I also don't want to assume that I'm right. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I will ultimately just lean into those core values and let that influence the solution that I'm going to choose as long as it's not detrimental to the organization. Um, but that's what I'm going to lean into. And I always try to remind myself when I have to make really difficult decisions, I remind myself that, okay, this might be short-term pain, but remember, it's going to be long-term gain. So it might be, you know, those 72 hours is going to be incredibly painful or three weeks is going to be incredibly painful. But after that, it's going to be better. So make the hard decision for a brighter future. So let's talk about Jocelyn uh, and, you know, some things about you personally. What do you like to do outside of work that helps clear your mind? I took up golfing and I'm not terribly coordinated. I've never been particularly athletic, but I joined this group of ladies and we golf and it is so much fun. So I like doing that and I do it with uh, my my husband and other couples and uh, hiking, big on hiking. That's great. I'll tell you what, when uh, you're, I also golf and when you're out golfing, it's hard to think about anything else. Exactly. It's like this ball, the stick and this tiny, tiny ball and oh, there's water. Darn. How am I going to do this and hit and oh, this didn't work out. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's, uh, you know, it's a good day or a bad day on the golf course. It doesn't matter. It's It does clear your mind. <laughs> Absolutely. And we like to walk the course too. So you get exercise, fresh air. It's awesome. Pick what you want here. Do you have a, a favorite book, movie? song, sports team, podcast. Tell us a little bit about the kind of things you're interested in. Yeah. Uh, I would say, so my favorite book is uh, Cyrano de Bergerac by Edmond Rastin. And uh, it 
the reason it is, it's in French, obviously, and it's that it's written in verses. And okay, wait, 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 wait. Did yeah. you say, I'm sorry, I have to say this, you know, yeah. like a dumb, a dumb American. So, did you say Sereno de Bergerac? Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> okay, okay, phew, I think I got that. <laughs> sorry. No. Yeah, Cyrano so, de Bergerac. Okay, yes. so sorry. It's the book. In verse. I didn't it's, know that. It's oh. absolutely. It's the most beautiful thing to read. It's just. It's written these beautiful, beautiful verses, and I love the movie that they made of it uh, with Gerard Depardieu, and he's just so exquisite in the role. It's ugh. So favorite book, favorite movie, favorite foods. Any comfort foods that you like. I don't have a favorite food because I just love food. <laughs> so it's, I, I, I just love food. I love trying all kinds of recipes. I love exploring cuisines and spices. So, you know, I, I'm all up for it. All kinds of stuff. I, I want to ask about what would you do if you, if you took a sabbatical, but it sounds like you've already been around the world. What would you do if you could just freeze everything right now in a year, you come back and everything's going to be right where you left it. You know, what would you do for a year? And and granted, you have had some experience traveling, so that's good. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Maybe you'll become a, you know, a golf pro. What, w- what would you want to do for a year if you could take a sabbatical? I would still travel. <laughs> so more traveling. Uh, spend time with family and friends and writing. Um, you know, go back to fiction writing. So just creating maybe a write a novel or something. That would be that would be awesome. What would you say is uh, Jocelyn's brand? You know, what are the values? What are the things that you stand for? Well, after doing a lot of work on myself with some professional support, because <laughs> I did have a, a little bit of baggage I needed to clean up. So um, I've got some help on that one. And he's actually the one that uh, said something to me that really spoke to me. He said, you know what? You're on a mission of love and you are dragging everybody along with you. And I kind of sat there and I was like, Yes, that is what I'm doing. <laughs> and so I kind of just frequently remind myself of those words. And I say, that's that's kind of what I do in the leadership and everything. I just try to be that person who goes to that positive place and try to get everybody to come aboard with me. Let's, let's, let's do this. What is some good advice that you have received in your life? Some good advice I would go back to when I was a translation intern. And so we had this director who was always listening to music and just dancing down the halls, had the absolute worst pun jokes. He thought he was so funny. And he um, was also, even though he was also this silly, silly person, his work was the best written word you have ever seen. And so for me, it was seeing someone at such a high level that was having fun and still constantly improving, constantly learning. So the the best advice, I'm getting to it. uh, One day we were having lunch, uh, the whole team on a patio. And he turned to me and he said, always take your work seriously, never take yourself seriously. 
And that's something that resonated with me and that I've kept like today as a leader, it's something that I do. I carry this philosophy with me and I try to pass it on to the team. It's like, when it's time to work, it's time to work. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. It's going to be great. Okay. And let's also have fun and, and be, you know, positive people. That is great advice. So for young people just starting out, any advice that you would give to someone else just beginning their career? I would say that it would be important to keep two sides going. So the first side is more like the practical one. So uh, about planning for the future. So putting money aside, investing, paying down, uh, paying off loans, uh, get at as much of an education as you can, seek out learning opportunities, keep growing, keep learning. So that's kind of the one side. The other side is leave room for exploration and leave room for creating your own unique path. Like, don't worry so much about getting it right. If something doesn't work out as expected, that's fine. Just learn from it. Course correct. Just make sure you develop a strong work ethic, have good intentions, and just do your best whatever position you're in. And try to be the leader who uh, brings positivity no matter what your title is. That is fantastic advice. It really is. Uh, a, a lot of people are worried they're not moving up fast enough. And if they just stay patient and do the best job that they possibly can, like you just said, then they'll get there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jocelyn. Uh, I, I've loved talking with you today. And Me too. Thank you so much. This was so great. Thanks to Jocelyn Moray Nurse for being our guest today. And thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch, or if you know someone you think would be a great guest on the show, send me an email at bmoline at cmua.org. And please leave a five-star review, which helps others find their way to Leadership Secrets.